uh, it's going to be taken from 2 Kings chapter 2, and I'm just going to read verses 13 and 14 in your hearing. He also took up the mantle that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, he divided it this way and that, and Elijah crossed, Elisha crossed over. Elisha crossed over. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, and we bless you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I have a shorter version of this. Uh, somebody said, Pastor, you're vertically challenged. No, I'm not. I was 6'4 and a half before I had kids. And, amen. And never told a lie. <laughs> I prayed about uh, what I should share. And it's interesting, as I said, Sometimes in the morning before I preach, when I've spent hours in preparation, the Lord will give me something entirely different. And obviously, I'm not going to preach what I got this morning, but I realized that what I got this morning could have been today's sermon. Somebody say amen. amen. But you're going to get it all. So I'll give you a portion of some. <laughs> I'm only going to give you a portion of some. Amen. It's good to see the brothers in the house. It is so good. I would pray that you would make the men in your life feel special today, the same way that we make you feel special. Uh, without a man, you wouldn't be here, uh, and your life is better because of that. Even if the man in your life wasn't the greatest example, you can learn from the poor example how to be a better person. I prayed about what I should preach, and the Lord reminded me about the need to return to the basics. I preached so long, I've been in the ministry since 1978. And I preached the times that I've been in the pastorate every year. I never missed, praise God, preaching on Father's Day. So I have a lot of Father's Day sermons. But I asked the Lord to give me a fresh word. And I believe that he has. And I've read in your hearing 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And the Bible says that the mantle, the mantle, the mantle, the mantle of Elijah was picked up by Elisha. The mantle spoken of in this passage refers to a literal physical garment that was worn as a cloth over a man's shoulders. It also could have been an outer jacket or a cloak that a preacher, a prince, a politician, a prophet would wear. Uh, Jewish men to this very day wear mantles, wear mantles uh, to represent that they are the head of their household, not just biologically, but they are the head, the covering of their household spiritually, and so the mantle, the mantle. Jews and Christian men, as I've already mentioned, under, understand when they wear this that this reflects or symbolizes a position of leadership and power that comes from the Lord who works in the man through the mantle on behalf of those who are under the care of the man. And that's God's divine order. So God works in the man through the mantle on the, for the benefit of others when the mantle is assigned to the man. If you put on my mantle, it ain't working. It's kind of like you take it, I take your phone, and I try to access all of the information and the icons and the, all your account numbers and so forth. Uh, it will not recognize my face. And so that information would not be available to me. When God anoints a man to wear a mantle, 
there is facial recognition that activates the power in the man, through the mantle, on, on behalf of others. The supernatural power that works through the mantle came from God, and as I've already mentioned, uh, priests, pastors, and men in particular over households wore them. It is important for us to understand, and, and I'm not a robe wearer. Uh, I don't have the, I got a robe that has a couple sleeves. That means certain things and certain tassels and all of that. But I do understand when you look at the Old Testament, when God assigned to the priests what they should wear, every part of their attire had specific spiritual significance. And we can appreciate this uh, when somebody buys you a shirt or a pair of socks, or my wife brought me some cologne and she wanted to know what happened to it and what that. She can smell the cologne or see that you can wear the shirt, and that shirt will remind you of a significant point in time in your life or what, the, what that shirt represented to the person that gives you. So we can give significance to clothing when we choose to, and the same is true when it comes to the communion table, to the pulpit. We pray over it, we consecrate it, we set it apart, and this, this common table, this common pulpit, this, this mantle becomes something other than just a piece of cloth once it is devoted to the Lord. And so a man, every man, has been assigned a mantle, a mantle, a mantle. And while it, we say to people, especially at home-going services, we'll say, you need to t somebody needs to take up the mantle. Somebody needs to step up and fill in the gap of, of the responsibility and duties of whoever died. And so mantle has that figurative meaning where we say, we, we understand that there's a void that needs to be filled, and that person that was in that role had a specific significance in the family. Sometimes they were the matriarch of the family or the patriarch of the family. But once they leave, somebody needs to take up the mantle. In every home, in every man's DNA, God, God, God has set you as a man apart to take up your mantle, to take up your mantle. I actually believe that every man should own one of these, not this long. <laughs> I got one that's pretty short. Uh, but, and, and I'll share a little bit about that because there are times when we're operating in that capacity and we want our sons to understand this is what we're doing now. Something's about to happen through me or in me through this mantle for your benefit. And so the mantle, the mantle is a cloth that goes over the shoulder, but the significance of it was that it was worn. It was worn by men, particularly to demonstrate a position of authority that came from the anointing of God. The anointing of God. Somebody say amen. Now, as I maneuver my way without my tech technology available to me, there's several things I want to say as principles to men in particular before I talk about their different facets are different, are, are, are like, they're, like diamonds have different reflections depending upon where you're looking at the diamond. The mantle has multiple purposes. Men wear a lot of different hats, and I'm going to talk about the seven facets of a, of a man's mantle. But I also want to give some observations about some initial things that could have been our sermon today, but it isn't, so don't try to make me stop. The first thing that I want to observe with you is that as a man, understanding the significance of assuming your responsibilities and duties as the covering over your families and or if you are not married in preparation to become a person who covers as the leader of your family. The first thing that you need to observe is this. 
You need to align yourself with an Elijah. Align yourself with a man who knows how to use his mantle. Elisha was the spiritual son of Elijah. And he served him for some seven years before God took Elijah away. He was one of two people who never saw death. He was taken up by a chariot of fire. He went out in style. Didn't say it was the 4th of July, but I'm, I'm sure it was a sight to see the chariots and the fire and the prophet going into heaven. In fact, as the prophet is ascending into heaven and Elisha does not know exactly where he's going, he begins to literally cry. He says, my father, my father, my father. Now, Elijah was not his biological father, but he was his spiritual father. And so it broke the heart of the servant, Elisha, to know that the man that he had aligned himself with to learn how to wear a mantle, every man needs to have somebody that is showing you how to wear your mantle. Align yourself. But here's a second observation. You need to ask for the mantle. Before Elijah was taken away, Elijah said, what would you have me to do for you? You remember the story. He said, what would you have for me to do? And Elisha got greedy. He said, give me a double portion of the power that God has granted you. And let me just read that. You don't believe me. He says, and so it was. When they were crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit fall upon me. And what he was saying, I used to think that he wanted greater supernatural powers. And actually, in his lifetime, Elijah did 11 miracles. Elisha did 22. So he actually had 22. But he was asking... I want to have greater impact in my ministry, twice as, twice as much impact as you did in the ministry, in the mantle that God has given me as my responsibility. You remember at the end of Elijah's life, he fled, he ran from, from Jezebel, and the Lord actually fired him. He said, I'm replacing you with Elisha. Sometimes when we run from the mantle, God will replace us. God will raise up Elisha. But watch this. So ask, Lord, give me my mantle. Give me my mantle. Whatever the responsibilities you have, I'm not running from accountability. I'm not running from a commitment. I'm not running from the challenges of accountability. I want to be accountable. I want to be responsible. Give me the responsibility. That's what a man who wants to wear a mantle, he ain't running, he ain't hiding. Let me lead. Let me demonstrate. Because I've been aligned to someone who has shown me how it, what it means to bear response. Men, too often, we're quick to fall apart, quick to get up in our feelings. And because we've been babied and mothered and smothered, we want women to feel sorry for us and bail us out and give us all kinds of Get out of jail cards. No, no get out of jail card. I'm asking for a double portion. I don't want less responsibility. My shoulders are big enough to carry God. Whatever the mantle is that you have assigned to me, ask for the mantle. We're asking for a better job. We're asking for less weight. We're asking for a better place to live. God said, no, ask for more accountability and responsibility. Ask for the mantle. That's what a man does. But not only did he ask for his mantle, you got to accept it when it's your turn. The Bible says as the prophet was being taken up into heaven, he dropped his mantle to the ground. Now, it's one thing to ask. It's another thing to be aligned. But if you don't accept the mantle, he picked it up. He picked it up. We talk about it. 
I'm going to do this. I was, I went, and woulda, coulda, shoulda. He picked up the mantle. He accepted. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to be faithful. She can count on me. I'm not going to let them down. I'm not, going, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try to do my, I'm accepting. I'm putting this thing on. He picked up the mantle. He picked up the mantle. So he, he accepted it when it was his turn. When it was his turn. He aligned himself. He accepted it. He asked. But here's another thing. He took the mantle of Elijah. And the Bible said he struck the Jordan River. And it parted. I want you to know there's power in the mantle that God has given you. And what we need to do after I've aligned myself and I've asked and I've accepted the mantle, now I need to activate its power by using it. I don't know what your Jordan is. I don't know what's keeping you from your opportunities in your future. I don't know the doors that have been closed in your face. I don't know all that you've been through. But I do know that the Lord has given you as a man a mantle if you activate it. I see that Jordan River, that, that, that mountain that Jesus said, you had the faith the size of a mustard seed man. You can speak to the mountain, and the mountain will move all of your past hurts, all of your past failures. Activate, activate, activate. Activate your mantle. And then finally, just observations. We haven't started yet. You need to allow God to aff affirm his anointing on you. I'm the man. I'm in charge. Don't mess with me. Wait until I put some bass on my bones. Don't mess with me. The Bible says after the Jordan was parted, Elijah crossed over. And the prophets from the school of the prophets said, the spirit of Elijah is on him. God affirmed, this is the dude now. This is the one that I've assigned to wear the mantle. Sisters, you don't want to marry a man that ain't willing to accept his mantle. You don't want to marry a man that God has not affirmed that he is the one that will be carrying that mantle of responsibility and duties over you. You don't want to marry somebody that God hasn't shown fruit in their life. Allow God to affirm you. Allow God to affirm. Now, when the sons of the prophets were with him in Jericho, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. And they came and they met. And guess what they did? They bowed in his presence. I want you to know, when, you, when a man wears his mantle and allows God to affirm him to his family, your wife will follow you. Your children will follow you. Because you have, you have, you have the mantle of God and you're walking in, in, in divine favor. Those are just observations. Now I want to talk about the seven different facets of a man's mantle. We're going back to the basics. And the reason we do go back is because as men, we've lost our way. I have worked with women for 17 long years. Brothers, help me to retire. <laughs> it's hard as a man to work with women. Women don't get along. But that's not, I can't raise my voice. I can't be too, too definitive in my, my position. And so you got to navigate around so it doesn't sound like you are engaging in workplace hostility. And so, brothers, we need to understand how this mantle from the word of God should look when it's, when it's activated. The first thing that a man's mantle should reflect is protection. We have been 
designed and directed by God to be protectors. <clears throat> now, for us older jokers, all you old guys out there, <laughs> we understand that. The millennials and Gen Zs, that don't do nothing for them in terms of how that would fire us up. Christ, God has designed and directed men to be protectors. The first, and there are five levels of protection biblically for man. The first level of protection is to understand the priority that God has assigned to it. The first thing that God told man to do was two things. He said, he, he, he told him to work in the garden, to cultivate it. And then the second thing he said, guard it, protect it, take care of it. And so protection for man from God's perspective, if he said that to Adam as the first thing he wanted him to do, guess what that means? It's a priority. Not only is a protector as a man a priority because God gave us the, that, that director, the, that, that directed, that, that instruction, but it's also proactive. Now watch this. The garden wasn't the hood. Everybody wasn't packing. The garden was a crime-free utopian environment, but the Lord said protect it. Just in case. And so when a man is being a protector, he is not waiting for something to happen. You are pro you're looking for the, if I go in here, how can I get out? If somebody starts shooting, what do we do? Not just what I do. <laughs> what do we do? We used to, uh, you go to dinner. I, would, I don't even know who taught me this. The brother, you sit where the entrance, where you can see the entrance of the door and the sister's on the opposite side. Now, I like this side, ready to move over. No, I'm sitting over here. No, you, you, you want to see what is happening before it happens. And if you need to run, no, if you need to deal with something, you will deal with it. And you can protect your children and your lady because we were taught to be proactive. Gen Z and Gen Millennials go in, they just pass me the drink. Turn the music up. Can you turn the lights? Make it darker so we can't see nothing. No, protection says being proactive. Proactive. It's going to rain where we're going tomorrow, so I want to make sure my wife has an umbrella. I want to make sure that we can take the safest route. I'm going to, get the, I'm going to plot the course to go where we're going so that we can be safe, that I can know what the weather. Proactive protectors. But it's also a persistent protection. Because he said, he didn't say, do it once. I did it the last time we went out. No, he said, watch, protect, and guard the garden just in case. I know my wife get on my nerves. Did you lock the door? <laughs> did you close the door? Did you turn the light off? Did you, did you, did you, did you, did you? That's something in our DNA. A man is persistent in how we try to protect. Now, sisters, you got to let us protect. Amen. You see the woman getting ready to fall and, and, and break her face, and you standing there, well, if she'd ask me. <laughs> A persistent protector is proactive. You're going to jump in, and you're not going to let her walk and injure herself because she didn't ask you. You're a protector. So a protector is, understands the priority is from God. He understands that you're proactive and it's persistent. But a protector also understands that it's practical. It's practical. You might have to do something. You, you, 
you, you, you, you might have to go to blows. When I grew up in Philly, I was always looking over my shoulder. How can I outrun him? <laughs> Where do I swing and duck first? I ain't waiting for him to swing and duck. So we need to understand that pr protectors is what God, the first thing God told men to do, be a protector. Be a protector. Be, be prepared. Be prepared. Recently, I got up and I realized that I had left uh, the door of my car open all night. My valuables were in there. Toilet tissues, Kleenex, <laughs> face masks. <laughs> Actually, I think it was my wife. But when, some, somehow, it made me, I realized that if something happened to her, I wouldn't know. So I wanted to be in a position where I could see to know how to respond if she needed me. And so I got, I'm not going to tell you the name of the system because I'm sorry I got that system, but I did get an alarm system. You can access it on your phone and deactivate and all of that fun stuff. And man, it, it, it literally makes a difference. I feel so much better when I'm at home and my wife has that protection. We got cameras, rear and front. So don't try nothing, Elder Gray. <laughs> now, it, wouldn't it be foolish for me to have an alarm system that I'm paying for that I need, but I never activate. I want you to know that sisters and children, your alarm system is that man in your life. And God has designated him to keep watch over you, to care for you, to guard you. And if you would allow him to be who he's supposed to be, when he's wearing the mantle of protection, he will be able to guard you from a lot of the things that are devastating women. Women, we have more opiate addiction than at any time in our history. We've got functioning drug addicts, flying planes, driving trains, leading corporations, drugged up just to make it because there's no protection. They got to go to work. They got to make the donuts. And so that we learn, God also, we learn, we learn, so the directive is that man should be a protector, but we also come to understand that in our protective role, God designed us, designed you. you, you your, 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 your makeup is such that you instinctively, inherently a man is a protector. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, the Lord said, but God fashioned the woman. He fashioned the woman. God got out his uh, canvas. <laughs> see, see, when he made men, he just threw some dirt together. <laughs> And, and breathe into the dirt, you live so. But when, when it came to one, a woman, he, the Bible says he, he fashioned her. He designed her. He meticulously put her together with some sugar and spice and everything nice. That's why when Adam saw Eve, he said, bone of my, oh, God, look at this. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God did something very unique when he made woman. Men and women are different. That is not quantitative. It is different because, by variety. So a man is not better than a woman. A woman is not better than a man. We may do things more, uh, more, more, with more excellent, more skills than others because we have uh, propensities. But essentially, we are the same. We are the same. We all made in the image of God, but he made us differently. That's why God says... In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Men, live with your wives according to understanding. God said, get a clue, brothers. 
Know your woman. Know your woman. Don't file her in the category of this is the way she could, she's always going to be because this is the way she was when I met her and I'm not trying to learn any more about her. No, you keep on studying your woman. And what God will do in that relationship, when you study your wife, he'll upgrade it. He'll give you an upgrade. Not a different person, but an upgrade in your marriage. Yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me fix that one up. He says, live with her as the weaker vessel. And that word literally means to treat your wife like a rare and delicate, fine piece of art. Treat her like she is so rare and so special and so valuable. The Bible actually calls his wife a woman of great price. Who can find her? Her value is beyond the price of rubies. Treat your wife as if she's priceless, not useless. A protector, protector treats his wife, treats the women in his life with delicate care and highest quality. You know how you treat your watch, brothers? You know how you treat those shoes that you didn't pay nothing for, but you act like you did? Treat your, the women in your life. You don't do that. You don't start that when you get married. You, the way you treat women now is the way you're going to treat your wife. If you're not married, you should be preparing. Now, let me quickly share. I'm going to spend a little time on the, the protective part, and then on the, on the last part, the, the, the in-between will run. The problem with the original directive of God and his design is threefold when it comes to protection. I'm trying to help the millennials and the Gen Zs here. We have a misunderstanding of how to protect a woman as a weaker vessel. Too often, men think of it as physical. I die for that woman. I knock somebody out for my wife. If your wife has a black belt in karate, she might knock you out. <laughs> I killed somebody for my family. Well, your wife's the excellent marksman. You couldn't shoot straight if somebody put the gun. <laughs> So protection is not strictly physical. So we got a misunderstanding about it. And so men, we feel out of place. We can't protect women. They, don't want you, they don't want you doing nothing for them. High aerobics, and, and they're on their uh, Panaton bikes. And you, know, you, 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 you can't even bring it in the house for them. I got this. <laughs> Protecting your wife means that you protect her emotionally. You protect her financially by being stable. Stable. You protect her romantically by, by constantly dating your wife, making her your priority, making her your woman, your lady. She's your wife, but that's my girlfriend right there. She's my girlfriend. Amen, amen, amen. I often say, don't tell my girlfriend. They say, what are you going to tell your wife? I said, my wife is my girlfriend. You can tell her. So we have a misunderstanding about what it means. It's not physical. But we also have the issue of manipulation. We take protection to the extreme. We don't, it doesn't mean controlling a woman. Well, when you get finished raising our 11 kids, then we can talk about going back to school. Or then you can consider your career. And, and, and what's going to happen if you work outside the home? These guys might just say something to you out of the way. And so you don't need a job. You don't need a work. So I, my wife and I, for the first eight years of our marriage, she didn't work. That was our choice. That's fine. But if it's because you are insecure, you keep your wife in bondage and don't allow her to reach her full potential under the vision God, the mantle that God gave you. She, it should be big enough so she can become all that God intended for her, just like he has a plan for you. So manipulation, don't use, we're encouraging the brothers. You can be everything you want to be, son. And then our wives, oh, you go work at the restaurant. Oh, you can work part-time. No, no, no. Your wife can be whatever God has designed for her to be. Here's the last thing, and we're going to move on to the misinformation. 
When a woman hears a man say, I'm your protector, that immediately sounds like chauvinism. I am not inferior to you. You are not going to dominate me. That's so, so protector means to a woman that it's, it's, it represents the old system where men were in charge, women were seen not to be heard. And so you may be called misogynistic. You know, you have an issue with women. You look down on women when you say in a, in a mixed context, well, as a man, I'm a protector. You really are? Is that what you are? And so there's misunderstanding. They're misunderstanding. So we need to, the Bible says be as wise as what? Serpents, but as harmless as doves. So we need to understand the context that we're working. So if a man, if you're involved with a woman and she has a problem with you being her protector, she's got a problem with God because God designed us and directed us to be that protector. And that becomes an indicator that maybe you need to be moving on. But if you're scared to put on the mantle of a protector, then you are not ready for that part of your responsibility. Let's move on. You guys still with me? Take on the mantle of provider. Provider. God said to Adam, work. So he put him in the garden. And he said, you don't get to chill all day. <clears throat> Men are 1,000% of the wife. Go get your degree. Go get your credentials. Uh, and, and get a third and fourth job. And, and when you come home, I'll still be playing my video games. And, and I'll tell you how, how high I ran up the score. And, doo -doo -doo. and so the woman is exhausted, about to have a heart attack, and the brother still eating Pat's pizza, playing video games with a bunch of other irresponsible Men who don't want to grow up. I ain't against playing no PlayStation or whatever. I ain't against the NBA 2 or 10. What I'm saying is that your primary responsibility, if your wife never works again, the person that you marry, one, before Adam got married, he had a place to bring his wife. Now, you may, you may be living in a deficiency. <laughs> she living up in the suburbs, and she got a six-figure job, and you didn't make to marry her, and you said, listen, baby, I will take care of you, and I got a place for you to come, but if, if you want to live in the efficiency or you want me to move uptown with you, it's really your choice, but I got a spot. <laughs> you need to have a spot, brother. <laughs> You need to have a spot. And some say, well, I don't have enough. I don't, you, if, you have, if, if you're supposed to be marrying somebody and you can't keep your hands off of them, you got enough to get married to them, and God will add. God will give you the difference. So the key is, brothers, you need to have a job. You need to have a consistent job, and you need to be trying to improve yourself for the betterment of your family. And then your wife has a choice. She, God never commanded the wife to work outside of home. He didn't say that she couldn't, but it ought to be a, based on a mutual agreement. I, I, my experience has been most women, if they had a choice, they wouldn't be working outside their home. They'd be home, or they'd be doing something else. But because of our financial obligations, if they ever did, we'd be a lot more people living down at the Sunday breakfast mission. Because we, we, we couldn't sustain our lifestyle. But the point is, you need to be at your wife. You need to be able to say to her, if you never worked again, I got you. The mantle of provider says, I got you, babe. I got you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say that? Let's move on. You're getting kind of quiet up here. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Take on the mantle of spiritual progenitor. Progenitor. Let me spell that for you guys. <laughs> I got to look at it myself. <laughs> P-R-O-G-E-N-I-T-O, -P progenitor, and that is author, originator, father. You ought to be producing spiritual sons starting in your home. Paul says, for you must teach others, teach other men the things, uh, teach, teach those things you and many others have heard us speak about. Teach these great truths trustworthy to trustworthy men who will, in turn, pass it on to others. Pass it on to others. Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring your life into? 
Who is your Joshua? Who is your Timothy? Older men teach the younger men. They, the reason why it's crazy in the hood is because there are no men. The men are in jail or dead or moved out. 80% of single homes are headed by women. Nobody's teaching these younger men how to wear a mantle. Who are you reproducing as a man? Starting with your sons, don't you dare do like Herschel Walker. Oh, a man that won't take care of his kids. He ain't nothing but a deadbeat. Then this dude turns up to have four kids he never even owned. Uh, 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 acknowledge. I ain't talking about that kind of brother. I'm talking about starting in your home. If you father the child, you man up and take care of that child. Oh, the mother just wants my money. How the mother going to take care of the child if you don't send the money to her? Just making an excuse that you don't want to wear the mantle of financial provider. You made it. You take care of it. I'm sorry, brothers. We're moving on. <laughs> provider, provider, progenitor. Who are you discipling? Here's another thing. Take up the mantle of proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, be ready, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set the Lord God apart in your heart and be ready to give an answer to every man who asketh for reason of the hope that is with you with fear and in trembling. Who are you telling about Jesus? When's the last time you witnessed? Well, when the Eagles drafted, we know everything the Eagles have done. We know everything the Sixers have done. We know every bet that's been made. We know who hit the lottery, who didn't hit the lottery. But when's the last time you told somebody about knowing a Jesus that can give you riches that will never run empty? Put on the mantle of proclaimer. Be like Paul when the jailer said, uh, uh, what, he said, what should I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next thing he said, come and save my, come and do, tell my family. Tell my family, every man ought to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. He said, I am not ashamed of the glorious gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Ain't nothing like a man who will witness. Ain't nothing like a brother who loved Jesus. I don't, you talking, I don't care if you don't have no teeth. I don't care if his head is three times the size of whatever. If he loved Jesus, that's a handsome man. something about a man who loved Jesus. And one of the ways you know he loved Jesus, he'll talk about the Lord. He'll tell others about Christ. Every opportunity I get in the work that I do, I'm getting the good news in. You don't have to, yeah, bring him to church, but the church is you. You are the church, and the Spirit of God is living in you. And wherever you go, you're taking the church. And as you are taking the church, tell them about what the Lord has done in your life. The reason I'm different, I, I would have cussed you out before, but Jesus. I still can throw down, but Jesus. You thought you got away, but Jesus. Don't do it again, but Jesus. <laughs> How many people can you, based on the exposure that God has given you, tell about Christ? Let me, let me, we right on. I told you it wouldn't be long. So you want to be a proclaimer, put on the mantle of the progenitor, birthing and discipling other men. And then you also want to take on the mantle as priests. Every man is the pastor of his home. I am the pastor of your family by your permission. But ultimately, if something go down, God ain't coming to me about what you allowed to happen with your family. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, the man is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. How is Christ the head of the church? He's a spiritual covering for the church. So I'm not sending my wife to church. I'm bringing her to church. I'm not telling her to pray. I'm praying with her. I'm not telling her to tell my children about Jesus. I'm telling them. I'm leading by example. Brothers, you are a pastor in your home. 
And I don't mean, let me get a text, son. I'm about to tell you what I need. Let me, no, 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 no. They're watching you. They're watching how you treat their mother. They're watching you when you don't know they're watching you, if you ever open your Bible, except for when you come to church. You're the pastor of your home. What kind of church you got at home? Come to church and jump around. I don't know if that's what that is. That sounds like a demon to me. Take on the mantle of pastor. Also take on the mantle, mantle of the prophet. Of the prophet. You ought to be a planner. Before there was an Eve and before there was a marriage, God already told Adam what he was supposed to do, where he was supposed to live, how he's supposed to walk, and how he's supposed to worship. He already had the vision. If a man don't know where he's going, he cannot lead you. And sometimes, again, if you, you can know where you're going just by adapting these basic things to your life. I'm going to be a provider, a protector. I'm going to be a progenitor. I'm going to be a proclaimer. I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to be a prophet. You know how, they, how, how, the, how in the Old Testament it was a man who, who transferred the blessing? He would touch his children. Every birthday, I talk to my kids. I send, even if one of them don't respond, I'm sending them something. When the Lord bless me with you. And I'm saying, here's what God told me then. Here's what I'm believing for God. I'm prophesying over my children. I'm speaking the blessing. I'm touching them. I'm being specific. Every blessing and prophetic message is not for every child. I'm being directed by the Holy Spirit. When, when Jacob was blessing the 12, when his 12 sons, the oldest son uh, uh, was supposed to receive the, the primary blessing, but he crossed his hands. <laughs> and he pronounced the, better, the greater blessing on the younger kid. And then when, he, when, when Joseph saw it, he tried, his father was blind. He assumed that he messed up, and he tried to move. He said, no, 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 this is the spirit thing. I ain't giving you my inheritance, so you're going to spend it the next day, but I'll give it to your sister in Jesus' name. <laughs> Brothers, are you, are you a planner? Are you a visionary? Are you a prophet? Do your children hear from you as you're being led by the Spirit? Don't promise your kids stuff you don't got. You know, we have spent everybody else's money in Genesis chapter 48, verse 22, Jacob, Israel, prayed for his kids and prophesied. He said, this is what you can have, and this is what you can't. I can't give you what I don't have. Trust God for the results when you do what God says. Amen? Amen. Here's the last thing, brothers. Putting on this mantle. This could have been the first thing. Take up your mantle as a praiser of God publicly and privately. And he's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, the chief end, the primary reason God created us is to worship him and work for him, to fear him and to follow him. Listen to what uh, Peter, how, how, Tim, how Paul puts it in uh, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. When you look around the church, and you say, who's praising the Lord? Who's lifting up their hands? Who's giving lively witness? It's the sisters. That's not, the, that's not God's pattern. He said, I want men everywhere. The same way when your team is about to score a touchdown, you up out your seat, you running around, you act like you don't have good sense. Your, your, mom, your wife said, be quiet, honey, because your neighbor, no, you don't care if the neighbor's here. Your team's about to score a touchdown. I want you to notice and lift up men. I want you to be the example of what praise should look like. Put on the mantle of praise, brothers. Stand with me. Stand with me. Put on the mantle of praise. Put on the mantle of praise. I don't know about you, but the Eagles never scored a touchdown for me. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to call Jeffrey Lurie at 3 in the morning. 
I've never been able to call Fletcher Clark Cox when I couldn't pay my electric bill. I've never been able to reach out to J Jalen Hurts when, when, when the doctor said I had COVID. But I know a doctor named Jesus. I know a savior who sits high and he looks low. I know someone who's available to me no matter what time it is, no matter what I'm going through, because he is the one who is the lover of my soul. That's why I don't have any problem praising him. I don't have any problem lifting up my hands. I don't have any problem worrying about what other people think. David said to Michelle, his wife, he said, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about them. It was about him. And if you thought my praise was outrageous, if you thought I didn't look dignified, I got a more undignified praise than this. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to lift him up. Somebody ought to give him thanks. And brothers, don't let the rocks. Don't let the rocks. Don't let the rocks cry out for you. I want to be known as somebody who wasn't ashamed to praise God, to celebrate his presence, to enjoy what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We're going to praise him in heaven. Oh, we're going to have a hallelujah time. When all of God's children get together, what a time. What a time. What a time. Men, fathers, take up your mantle. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you for another day. Father, you've shown us in your word the basics. The rest will come into clarity if we would simply do the basic things. That job, that location, those questions that we want answered, if we do the basics by taking up our mantle, as a protector, a provider, a progenitor, a proclaimer, a priest, a prophet, a praiser, you will direct our path. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the, I said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. I, I think the Lord's going to score a couple touchdowns for some of us. Amen. If we get loose in him. Amen. As we stand before the Lord, I wonder as you close your eyes and you just consider where would you be if someone had not told you about Jesus? Jesus.